1: You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of RedLegNation.com. Hello, here we are at Red Leg Nation podcast again, Red Leg Nation Radio, and today we're happy to have someone with us from the newest member of the Reds organizational family, the Bakersfield Blaze. We're talking to Dan Bespris, the Blaze's uh, Director of Broadcasting and Media Relations. Dan, thanks for joining us today.
2: Hey, not a problem. Happy to be here.
1: Well, let's start talking about you a little bit. Give us a little bit of history on on, on Dan and, and, and your career up to this point.
2: <laughs> well, this could take the entire podcast, so I'll, <laughs> I'll try to keep it as brief as I can. Uh, you know, I, I actually went to... Uh, Cal Berkeley for college and majored in molecular biology. So I don't, I didn't really take your average track to getting into baseball broadcasting. But after taking a year off after school and actually getting into medical school before deciding I didn't want to go, uh, I found my way. Well, the, the short version again really is I sort of found my way into uh, doing some volunteer broadcasting up at UC Davis. I'd make the drive from San Francisco up to Davis every day, which for those of you in the Midwest, is about a 90-mile drive or so. And uh, one thing kind of led to another. I ended up as the broadcaster for Visalia, which is where we are right now with Bakersfield. And after a couple of years in Michigan, so maybe I shouldn't have even said that, uh, I am back in California, I'm with Bakersfield, and uh, really excited to be part of the Reds organization.
1: Dan, can you give us a little background on, on the California League
2: and the Blaze in particular? Well, this is the 70th year for Sam Lynn Ballpark, which is the stadium where Bakersfield plays. It is, uh, you know, you can come up with a lot of adjectives to to sort of sugarcoat things. It's a bit of an old ballpark, but it still has kind of that old time charm to it when things are not breaking. So it's kind of a a mixed bag for that one. Uh, The California League has been around for about that long, just a hair longer than those 70 years. And uh, in terms of Bakersfield, they're among the top teams in in longevity. I think Modesto is the only team in the California League that's been around longer than the Bakersfield Blaze right now. They've been the Badgers, they've been the Bears, they've been the Boosters, the Dodgers, the Indians. Uh, you name it, Bakersfield has basically had it over the last 70 years. Uh, and it's, it's a town that's really rich in baseball history. And I think in time, uh, it's a town that can sort of rebuild that rich baseball tradition. Right now it's kind of in a little bit of a state of transition where a lot of people has kind of fallen out of love with the ballpark or fallen out of love with the organization because of a lot of changes in the parent club or a lot of staff turnover. But we're really excited about where this team is headed right now. We've got a staff in place uh, in terms of the team we're talking about right now. We're talking about the front office for the first time in about half a decade, a staff that's really working together to really get things straightened out. And the fact that the Reds were kind enough to send us such a an offensive juggernaut of a team and, of course, Ken Griffey, it really helps the organization try to rebuild that fanship that they had for so long.
1: You've kind of you've kind of hit some of the things I want to talk about that I've got in my notes here, but before we get to some of those things, give us an idea of the the geographic uh, Stretch of the California League. I mean, how how far across the state does your does the league stretch?
2: You know, in, in terms of the leagues, uh, in my the California League is actually one of the most convenient in terms of travel. It is most of the state uh, extending from the Bay Area all the way down to Lake Elsinore, which is oh maybe about forty five miles north of San Diego. So it goes almost to the southern tip of California. And it goes about 60% of the way up the state. I, you know, It's easy to think of the Bay Area as Northern California, which is what it's referred to. But there's a vast expanse of mostly redwoods north of the Bay Area that most people don't even think about. But uh, you know, the longest travel time by bus in the California League, San Jose to Lake Elsinore, is still only about a seven-hour ride. So uh, it really it makes life a little bit easier on the players. They get more sleep in this league than they would in a lot of other ones. Uh, certainly over the course of a 140 game minor league season guys are still gonna get pretty tuckered out but uh, you know the fact that that so many teams are within an hour two hours three hours of one another it really takes a little bit of the toll off the guys
1: so for for Bakersfield the average bus trip is what a couple hours
2: well right now we're in Visalia I've actually turned the crowd mic off here but if you want you can hear some of the uh, the background noise while Bakersfield is currently taking batting practice I'll just Turn that up for a moment, to, just to give the podcast a little extra flavor. Uh, but yeah, I mean, for Visalia, this is about an hour. This is a commuter trip, so we ride here on a bus to and from every day. It's the only commuter for for Bakersfield, and some of that has to do with the fact that we're sort of right smack in the center of the California league schedule. Uh, but yeah, Modesto is probably about two and a half, three hours. Stockton, San Jose, probably in the neighborhood of four hours or so, and. Lake Elsinore to the south is about three and change hours as well. So we're right in the middle. There's rarely a trip for Bakersfield that's over four hours long other than this most recent road trip the team took where they actually had to go from Stockton to Lake Elsinore. But again, that's about as tired as a team is going to get. So that's
1: not too bad. Tell us, about the, tell us about the challenges for an organization like the Reds that, that has a new affiliate franchise and the hurdles for the franchise as well.
2: Well, you know, I think that the biggest hurdles are just making sure that everything is organized. I, I know that's that's kind of a maybe not the most uh, sexy or exciting answer to that question, but uh, making sure that the, the proper staff is in place on our end was a big piece of it, uh, and getting uh, myself as the media director for the team uh, available for the Reds organization and our, our general manager in Bakersfield, Elizabeth Martin, who joined the organization back in October, has sort of had to shoulder the entire load for most of the off season. So, uh, you know, again, it's not the answer that's going to make everybody's brains uh, pop out of their skulls or eyeballs shoot out or whatever. Um, but, yeah, a lot of it's organizational, making sure that, you know, the media folks on the red side can get a hold of me and making sure that we can get a hold of the, the player personnel people on the red side. But beyond that, a lot of it is kind of, uh, cookie cutter a little bit the teams have been doing this for so long with so many different cities that they kind of know what they need to do and on the city's end we know what we need to do to get ready for a team as well so um, you know not not a ton in terms of things that need to be sorted out but again a lot of it just sort of communication wise making sure that everybody's got the right numbers the right names uh, and being able to get a hold of people quickly because let's face it uh, the minor league ball players, they get here on April 3rd and the season starts on the on the seventh so there really isn't much time and you got to put everything together very quickly
1: yeah i I can I can understand what you're saying and I don't, I don't want to dwell on the negative here but there are a couple things that I want to ask you about and then we're I want to move on to talk about baseball the Reds kind of end up in Bakersfield okay. as the musical chairs came to an end and Bakersfield was the only thing left in, in a ball um, by the time the Reds got their ducks in a row the Lynchburg team being sold you know all those things that you're aware of and And reports I read, and you touched on this a little bit when you talked about the ballpark was you know the reputation of Bakersfield was not very good in the think the reports I read the franchise, the stadium, the field was this were, were they being treated fairly do you think?
2: Uh, I think things got exaggerated a little bit because a lot of teams in the California League have gotten new ballparks pretty recently. Uh, San Jose is one of the few that has not but Like Elsinore Stadium was built in the 90s. Uh, Lancaster, Inland Empire, they were both built in the mid to late 90s. I think Rancho Cucamongo was built uh, either in the late 80s or early 90s as well. You know what? Scratch that. They were late 90s and that's why they set the record. Uh, High Desert was built in the 90s. Stockton's Ballpark opened five years ago. Um, So there really aren't that many stadiums left and right now we're in Visalia. They don't have a new ballpark. but they built an entirely new right and left field side. So I think a lot of it was a comparative issue where things had kind of fallen into a a state of disrepair, but they weren't miserable. And a lot of what I've heard from the ball players, because that's really what it comes down to, because let's face it, I can see things just fine from almost any press box in the California League, but from the guys that played in Lynchburg, they've come out and said, no, in fact, the, the facilities in Bakersfield, the field itself are actually better. So I think a lot of it was just things being painted in a negative light. Yeah, there are a lot of things wrong uh, with Bakersfield. And, you know, the press box just got an air conditioning unit for the first time two years ago. And there were moments you can ask the broadcaster for the Stockton Ports if you ever happen to speak with him, Zach Beirutti. He actually was in that press box on a day where it got up to 142 degrees in the press box. So... Yeah, there are some things that needed fixing. They re-leveled the playing surface this last offseason to make sure that the infield played fairly. Uh, they fixed a lot of the issues with the outfield wall. The visiting clubhouse got new carpet, and the home clubhouse is fine. Uh, I've been in there plenty, and it's really not a whole lot better or worse than any other facility in the California League. I think a lot of what gets bandied about about Bakersfield is that the city for the most part had kind of lost interest over the last few years and and some of that was because of a different staff every season where they couldn't really put together a promotional schedule and they couldn't talk to sponsors and and nobody really knew who was going to be running the place Uh, and as a result things just sort of got quiet and people didn't know what to make of it and so a lot of it became negatives but I I think a lot of that was exaggerated a little bit I'm not going to come on here and say that there's nothing wrong but I am going to come on here and say that the things that are wrong are fixable, given some time and given some uh, wherewithal and given a staff that can do it, and already a lot of steps have been taken to improve the conditions there, um, and it sounds like just listening to the players, it's not really as bad as everybody says.
1: The team is, is, is struggling to draw right now. I mean, you're you're last in the, in the league in attendance by a, by a fairly wide margin, but it looks like you're working on that. I, you know, I, I'm, I see your stuff on Facebook. You're running promotions. You're doing things. Uh, is attendance look like it's starting to come up a little bit?
2: Oh, no question. Um, we're we're up a good fifteen to twenty percent just year to year, um, and that's you're not going to. Uh, what's the what's the expression? I'm, I'm sure I'm going to butcher this, but uh, I guess for our purposes, Bakersfield was not built overnight. So. Um, You know, little by little, you can't... Without a brand new ballpark, you're not going to completely change everything. You're not going to double or triple your attendance year to year. But as long as we continue to put out that effort to make sure that everybody that comes to games again this year has a good time, then they're going to keep coming out. And they're going to tell their friends and slowly but surely the fan base that does exist in Bakersfield, because let's face it, it's the largest media market in the California League. So it's not like there isn't a fan base there to get. It's about convincing them. It's about earning their trust once again that Bakersfield had for 55, 60 years and just lost over the last three or four. Now, I'll also go on the record as saying that um, there is a little bit of inflation at some ballparks more than others. So I think maybe the runaway discrepancy that you see on the the minor league uh, stats portal is probably not quite as wide as what it actually is. I mean, I've been at some ballparks where they've listed a 2,300 person attendance and I could count on fingers and toes how many people were actually in the stadium. And so, yeah, that widens the gap a little bit. But at the same time, just like when we talked about the issues with the ballpark, uh, there are some nights in Bakersfield where you're gonna get about 105 people in the stadium and it's a graveyard out there. Yeah. Other Which... nights, you're gonna get uh, we this last homestand, Friday and Saturday, were great. There were fantastic crowds. And the first thing that Ken Griffey and the coaching staff said to me when I came into the locker room after the game was, That was a great crowd. How many people we have out that night? And I said something to the effect of, oh, you know what? Not that much more than usual. But so it's close for Bakersfield. We're very close. And I think, you know what, forget think. I know that given two or three years, if all of us on the staff for the Blaze can work together to really put the pieces back in place, uh, it's not that far away at all. Bakersfield can get back to where they were. And and I mean, if you ever have a chance to talk to Mr. Griffey at any point this year, He'll say the same things I am. A lot of what gets thrown around is way blown out of proportion for the Blaze. And yes, we are last in league in attendance. And yes, it looks like it's by a pretty significant margin. But I can tell you right now that I've gone to games at the High Desert Maverick Stadium down in Adelanto, And there's no way they're drawing the numbers that they're claiming they're drawing. And in fact, I'd go on record as saying that generally the atmosphere there is pretty depressed. And the atmosphere of Blaze games really is pretty good. On uh, almost every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and even Monday games with our new dollar promotion. So, again, blown a little bit out of proportion. Yeah, we've got some work to do, but we're up fifteen to twenty percent year to year already. And if we can do that again over the next two or three years, suddenly you're looking at a ballpark that's half to three quarters full every night.
1: And uh, and that's an atmosphere that the the players like playing in too, because they're gonna you know they're gonna be the guys that you get for the most part are gonna be coming from Dayton. Where they're playing in front of seventy five hundred to eight thousand people every night. Yeah. When they're playing at home. We're,
2: we're uh, going you know, to be hard pressed. We're going to be hard pressed to match that. Well, absolutely.
1: When, every you know, there aren't teams in the minor leagues that draw like that. And, and the Reds teams have always had that issue. I mean, they had the same issue when they were in Sarasota. Um, but anyway, let's let, let's move on. Let's talk about some baseball. All right, fair enough. Um, let's talk about uh, your your manager. You mentioned him, Ken Griffey Sr. He was hitting coach in Dayton last year. Uh, for most of the year, I think he had a hip replacement or something and, and had to take some time off. Uh, th- does, does, he have, does he
2: have a style of play that he encourages in his players? Aggressive. <laughs> you set me up for that one. Uh, this team, considering the, the types of offensive numbers that they've put up this year as a ball club, they're hitting over 300. So you'd figure, all right, well, you know, a manager might be able to just sort of sit back and let a team batting 300 as a club just go to work go up there and mash for three hours a night and come up with five six seven runs whatever it is but he is not satisfied with that he's got these guys running he's got hit and run plays going on all the time and the blaze have stolen 50 bags this year which i think is second in the california league so not only are they the top hitting club in the league they're also among the top base running clubs in the league they're sort of middle of the pack in home runs but they lead the league in rbis and runs scored in hits doubles you name it this club is doing it on the offensive side and griffey's been able to kind of use that to his advantage by putting people in motion because he knows that everybody can handle the bat that's sort of a nice luxury i think sort of just to quickly follow up on, on a different note i think he's kind of learning on the fly a little bit too because he's managed an arizona fall league as he was talking to me about But in terms of really the day-to-day strategy and the pitch-to-pitch strategy, uh, he's really excited by it. He's sort of taking notes in his mind on every pitch and uh, kind of learning as he goes. Um, And it's fun to watch because he can tell stories about all sorts of things from the last 50 years of baseball. But uh, this is a new world for him, and he's more than willing. He's readily uh, available to to talk about it, and, and he admits that right off the top. He says, you know, I'm... I'm having fun. I'm, I'm learning how to manage a ball club. And he's done a good job so far this year of really keeping the team in uh, sort of an upbeat spirit as well. Uh, and I think that's something that he's stressed is not only the, the physical aspect of the game, the toll that it takes on a ball club, but also the mental side, what it takes to win over 140-game season in the minors or 162 in the bigs uh, on the mental side and what type of consistency he expects out of his team to get to that next level so uh, he's been a pleasure to work with he is hilarious if you get him for a half an hour on the side he can tell stories that would blow your mind um, and, and he's just having a grand old time.
1: Well when you got you know you were one of the grade eight on the big red machine you've got some credibility right off the out of the chute you know. Um, is, is the California league known as an
2: offensive league? Oh yes. Okay. Um, there are... There's probably two or three ballparks in this league that are big time pitcher friendly. One of them would be John Thurman Field in Modesto. The other is Municipal Stadium in San Jose is just beyond. I think that in 2008, if I recall, and I might be off by a year, I might be off by a a season or two. They did a study on average runs per game and, and how the ball flies in different ballparks. And the California League had three or four of the top offensive stadiums in all of minor league baseball but they also had the top pitcher's ballpark in all of minor league ball, and that's up in San Jose. So yeah, there are a few ballparks where it's it's not gonna play as well to offense, but at almost every one, you've got the ball traveling pretty well because the air in California is is pretty thin, not because we're at an altitude, but just because it's warm and dry. Uh, And you've got pretty short fields. Uh, It's 320 down the lines here in Visalia. In Bakersfield, we have the shortest center field wall uh, Distance-wise, in all of minor league ball, it's just 354 feet to wow. straightaway center. Um, you've got some pretty deep alleys at some ballparks in this league. That's the one thing that always makes me wonder. It's kind of a the southern division is kind of a triples league or a triples division, I should say. The north is very much a mixed bag. Here in Visalia, where we're where we're playing right now, in Bakersfield and in Stockton, you've got big-time hitter-friendly ballparks. San Jose and, and uh, Modesto. You've got big-time pitcher-friendly parks. And pretty much everything down in the south, it plays pretty well to triples in the alleys and home runs down the line. So it's certainly an offensive league, but it's a nuanced one. And if you don't know where you're playing, you can kind of get caught with your pants down a little bit.
1: Well, you you, you mentioned the offensive start your team's off to. Let's talk about some particular guys. The first guy I want to talk to is a young, is a young guy. He skipped over low A ball, um, Stephen Hunt. Uh, did he come to you guys out of extended?
2: Yeah, he sure did. Uh, he actually came up when Chris Richburg was put on the disabled list after taking a fastball off the elbow. And I think, what I've been told at least, is that the initial plan was to keep Hunt around for a week, maybe two weeks at the most, while Richburg got healthy and then probably return him to extended spring. But, well, Stephen made that impossible. He came up here, and he, I, I can't say quietly, all he did was in his first week, drove in 14 runs and that was in you know four or five games because he took a couple nights off but he's still hitting 500 15 games into the season he's 30 for his first 60 this year with three home runs and 20 runs batted in and basically he played himself into a permanent spot so uh, he's um, not an imposing guy when he steps up to the plate at at about six feet maybe a buck 80 buck 85. he doesn't look like the kind of guy that's going to go up there and kill you Uh, But when he makes contact with the ball, it makes that sort of louder-than-average noise that you expect from a 6'6 juggernaut. Uh, He hits the ball hard almost every time, and the average has, has resulted from it. He's also walked seven times and only struck out seven times, too. So really, the Reds might have wanted to return him to extended spring and maybe move him to Dayton, but he's been too good. He's shown he's, at least in the first couple weeks, ready for high A, so they've kept him here.
1: Tell us about Eric Campbell. He's a former number two pick from Atlanta. Played independent ball last year. He's a little old for the league, but but do you think he's a, a prospect in the system?
2: Well, you know, from what I've gathered, just talking to Eric, this is kind of a a uh, and I don't want to use the term last hurrah because that's that's not really fair to Eric. But yeah, he's bounced around a little bit, like you said. He played with Atlanta for a while, kind of moved up and down in their system repeatedly, uh, and then finally when he and the Braves. Came to sort of an agreement that uh there wasn't really a future for him there that they didn't want to try him at different levels anymore he and and atlanta worked sort of a mutual release and, and the reds were more than happy they said all right well we know this guy can hit let's see what he can do and they dropped him in the california league and all he's done is led the league in batting average for most of the season he's second in the league in home runs leads the league in rbis runs scored doubles extra base hits He's among the league leaders in walks. He leads the league in on base percentage. Everywhere you look, he is just ripping the league apart. And, and to be quite honest, I would not be surprised to see him at Double A in the next month and a half.
1: Okay, let's talk about uh, the number one draft pick from last season. He has Manny Grandal. Um, he's hitting really, really well, which is he. You know, everybody knew he was going to hit. Tell us something we don't know about him.
2: How about the fact that he is the most patient ball player on the team? Is that something you guys knew already or nope, no? Didn't know that one. <laughs> well, he's actually uh, second in the California League with 23 walks on the season through just 27 ball games. Uh, so you know he's he's molding himself into more than just a power bat. He's getting on base. Yeah, he swings and misses a little bit because he swings harder than your average ball player. But uh, he's a solid defensive catcher. He's got a good arm just throughout. Uh, a guy that was 9 of 11 in stolen bases prior to yesterday, gunned him down by a half-step last night. He can throw, he can play, blocks the plate well. Uh, everybody knows about the power. He's hit a couple home runs this year that have just... Uh, I, I, I don't have words. I know I'm supposed to be the broadcaster, but over video boards in different ballparks, just moonshots that never seemed like they were coming down. But beyond that, he shows incredible plate discipline. The 23 walks have been huge for this team because most of the year he's been batting right ahead of Eric Campbell, uh, and we already mentioned that Campbell leads the league in RBIs, so he can kind of put two and two together on that one. Grandal's been uh, a stud. I think he'd like to get his average up a little bit higher than 267, but he is uh, certainly the, the kind of prospect that the Reds expected, and I think he's kind of coming into his own here at high eight. He's another guy where I think if he gets the average up, he might get a look at Double A at some point, but uh, I know the Reds are in no rush uh, with Meseraco uh, as sort of the catcher-in-waiting in Triple-A, in so they don't really feel, I, I think, a reason to rush Grundahl yeah. and have him sitting behind Meseraco when he can kind of get some seasoning here at a, a pretty high level of baseball, but one where I don't think he's overmatched at all. Yeah. Um. I'm, next
1: guy I wanted to talk about, another guy that's hitting the ball really well, is Josh Fellhauer. The thing I noticed looking at his numbers is that he's already got four assists in left field. So He's got a big arm.
2: I think uh, everything about Fellhauer, you can kind of use the word surprisingly good, because he's a guy like Stephen Hunt where he's 5'11", he doesn't look like he's going to rip you up on the offensive side, he doesn't look like he's going to be a big time power guy, he doesn't look like he has the greatest speed on the team, but everywhere you look, he he impresses. I think maybe the word to to describe Fellhauer is probably to call him a gamer, uh, because he's batting in the 350's, he's among the league lead in hits. He's stolen four bags this year. He just plays solid, smart baseball every time they put him out there. And he's, from a broadcaster's perspective, he's a guy that's a lot of fun to watch. Not because he's gonna dazzle you with a spectacular play every night, but because he doesn't make mistakes. He's just out there and you know that you can count on him every day. And maybe more than being spectacular all the time, that might be the biggest asset at high A, where a lot of guys are really trying to establish consistency. And he's kind of a nice model to work on.
1: Let's go on to over to your pitching staff. Um, the guy that, that caught my eye in your starting rotation is Josh Raven. Um, his WHIP is really good. Uh, he's walked a little bit more guys than you really want, but he's also striking out you know 11 per nine. Tell us a little bit about Josh.
2: Well, from what I've been told, uh, the story with Raven is that he's always had unlimited potential but just hasn't been able to stay healthy for an entire season. So, you know, they're being a little bit careful with Raven. They're not letting him extend the pitch count too high, but uh, everything that you've looked at, everything you've heard about his stuff is absolutely true. He's got a fastball that we've seen as high as 96 at times. He can really get hum, hum it in there. I think is the expression I'll use today for that one. Yeah, he gets a little erratic at times. The 19 walks are a little bit on the high side, but when guys put the ball in play against Raven, which is rarely, they almost never hit it hard. He, he just has better than average stuff. He throws a big, sharp curve ball that uh, we've seen some right-handers knees buckle this year. So uh, I think the sky's the limit for Raven if he can stay healthy. The opposing, opposing batting average, probably the stat that you really want to look at with Josh. Uh, he's made six starts now, so you'd think things would level off a little bit, and opponents are batting just 161 against Raven this year so that just tells you how good his stuff has been for Josh like a lot of the other guys here at High A uh, Bill is that it's about consistency it's about finding the strike zone on a daily basis it's about not getting rattled when something happens behind him it's about staying healthy for a year it's about being efficient with his pitches while still getting those strikeouts when he needs them Uh, and again if he can sort of work out those kinks Raven absolutely has the stuff to motor his way, not just to double A, but he can certainly go higher than that. He's got really electric stuff. Uh, and again, like Josh, like for everybody else, I guess, Josh just needs to settle into a rhythm here, make sure his release point is set. And when he does, uh, I mean, he could he could end up in the bigs. There's no question.
1: Um, out of your bullpen, and I I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, Clayton, is it Schnuck? Schnick? Schnick? Schoonick. Schoonick. Uh I'm assuming he had Tommy John in 09. Uh, uh, he he was out the whole the year. Here. I know.
2: Uh, you know, I don't know if it was if it was Tommy John exactly. I know that uh, he and, and Doug Salinas had missed some time, and Villarreal, as a starting rotation, had also missed time with uh, uh, with various injuries. I'm not 100% certain on that, so without getting into too much detail, yeah. um, he's been very reliable. I, I mean, on a, on a pure baseball level, he, he's thrown strikes, he's gotten guys out, people aren't batting very well against him. Um, He doesn't throw that hard. He's a a low 90s guy at hardest, but he does have a good splitter and a good slider, and he mixes his pitches well, and I think in terms of guys that have hit their spots this year, you could probably put him at the top of that list. He's been uh, one of a couple guys out of the pen that has really been reliable, and and that's what you ask for out of a guy out of the pen that's not really the closer type because he doesn't throw that hard, but he throws strikes, he gets people out, uh, and you you know when you the ball. Uh, you can get it to some of much damage and all you can really ask for
1: out of a whole thing. I got uh, uh, three guys. I know we're running short on time here and I got three guys. I just want you to give me just a, a real short couple of words on them.
2: Uh, Andrew Means. Okay, give, uh, I'll give you about 30 seconds on each and then I got to get my get yep. moving. Andrew Means. AJ Means, fastest ball player I've seen in the California League this year. Brody Green. A guy that has picked up shortstop faster than I think anybody could have ever expected. A great athlete. Not a ton of power, but a guy that's using right field spectacularly and his average reflects it. i got to ask you about
1: a guy that's a friend of Red Leg Nation. Uh, Mark Fleury. He's kind of in a tough spot.
2: Yes, he is. Tough spot to be the guy behind the number one draft pick, but when he's been in there, he has done a true professional's job. He takes a lot of walks, gets himself on base, shows patience at the plate, which is hard for a guy that's not playing every day because you figure if you don't play for three or four games, you're going to want to get in there and take some hacks. But Fleury works the count. He does exactly what the team needs of him. Uh, and I think he's still got a bright future. He's not a guy that's that's being cut out of the system at all. He's a guy that's just kind of in a difficult spot right now. Yep. Uh, but... Maybe the nicest guy, the most outgoing ball player that I've run into in a couple seasons. Uh, every time we needed a TV interview before the year started, I went straight to Mark. And he was always there with a bright smile. He's working on a goatee now. I don't know if he had that when he was out in, uh, with you guys. But um, just just a super guy. Yeah, and, yes. and doing uh, again, has a real tough gig right now. But he's handling it as well as you could possibly imagine.
1: Any other guys on this roster that you would say are players to watch that that you know that we probably haven't heard about?
2: Well, let's see. Going up and down the roster real quick, we covered a lot of them. I don't want to leave anybody out because yeah, it's not really them justice. But I think we covered probably the guys that have gotten off to the strongest starts this year. Um, I think Villarreal probably in the starting rotation is the one guy we didn't really touch upon that has put together a an early part to the year that that makes control freak sound like the understatement of the century he's walked four men in about 40 innings this year so uh, he's putting together a very tremendous start and and in his real this is the year where the Reds hope that he can make that comeback from Tommy John and after two kind of rough starts he came back out last night and gave up a run in seven innings so he's a guy that's off to a nice start this year I think has a real bright future because he can get the fastball up there and he's got a good slider and the question is can he get the strength and confidence back after Tommy John a couple of years ago? Um, and so far, so good.
1: All righty, man. That's all I've got for you today. And um, I know you need to run and get ready for the game. And I want to thank you for your time. And I hope we can talk again soon.
2: Oh, there's no question, Bill. Thanks so much. Uh, really a, a pleasure to be here and, and a pleasure to be a part of Red Lake Nation. Thanks, Dan. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.